So we're going to look at Psalm 124, but before we do that, let's, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word, and we come and we acknowledge, Lord, that we need to hear from you. Lord, we pray that by your word and through your spirit that you would speak to us and that we would hear. And not just hear, Lord, that, that we would respond in faith. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, as a way for us to begin and think about the, the Psalms, I want us to think about the Psalms. These are God's word given to us that we can speak to God. These are God's words given to us that we can speak to God, that we can share our hearts and our, our minds with God. And in this way, they are a gift from God. And it's a gift that reminds us that God is not just interested in us learning doctrine or serving, though things are good, but that God actually desires and delights in us personally coming to him, to be personally connected to God. And the Psalms remind us of that gift and that truth. And in the 150 Psalms, there are 15 that are set aside as the Psalms of Ascent. I know that you've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, but it's a reminder that scholars have said that these 15 songs were likely sung by Jewish pilgrims as they were making their way to Jerusalem for the annual feasts of Passover, the Day of Atonement, and Pentecost. So these are songs for the journey. They are songs that we can sing to ourselves, but also sing to one another to encourage each other on the way, to remind us of who we are and our destination, where we are headed. And our psalm this morning, Psalm 124, that we just read together, what I hope that we can see is that this psalm is a liturgy, a liturgy that directs our hearts to God as our help. It's a liturgy directing our hearts to God as our help. And by liturgy here, I mean an order or a structure that, that guides, a liturgy that directs our hearts and minds, that sets our feet on a certain path, identifies a worthy destination, and encourages us on our way. The liturgical structure of our psalm has three components, and those three will uh, shape our sermon this morning. But these elements, the first one is a call to worship or a call to respond. We hear, let Israel say, let Israel say. The second is a thanksgiving, an expression of gratitude. Blessed be the Lord. And the third is a confession. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Through these three elements, through this liturgy, the psalm is setting a movement for it. It's seeking to shape you and me shape our lives that we may find Christ as our help. So let's look at this first one, the call to worship. Let Israel say, let the people of God say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Every Sunday for almost 2,000 years, we Christians have left our beds, our tables, our desks, our work, and gone out onto paths and roads, taken bike car, train, come by foot, from our normal daily routines, our various daily practices, and that we're called together in worship, assembled with each other. And I want us to be reminded as we think of this psalm that God has called you this day, that God has called into your life, into your heart to come and to gather in worship. And so here we are, good job, <laughs> here we are, people set in motion, People ordered and gathered by a call. And in a similar way, the psalm that we're looking at today, whenever it is read, whenever it is sung, whenever we 
pray this, it interrupts us. It calls to us. It interjects itself into our life saying, people of God, people of God, whoever you are, wherever you find yourself, whatever circumstances you are in, let us say, let us say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, then they would have swallowed us up alive. Then the flood would have swept us away. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Do you notice the one who calls to us is twice described as the one who is for us. The Lord is on our side. You don't need me to tell you this. We know this from our own experience that there are many powers at work around us. Many who seek to claim us, define us, use or dismiss us. There are many circumstances in our life that threaten to sweep us away. In the face of such realities, our psalm calls us to remember that there is something more, something more than we can see. The Lord is present and the Lord is on the side of his people. And as we hear this call, before we move further into the liturgy, it's good to acknowledge a couple things. The first thing for us to acknowledge is that for some of us gathered here, it may be a struggle to find ourselves in the hour of the psalm, that we may struggle to feel that God is on our side. We may appreciate the words, but not sure that they belong to us. There's a number of reasons that one of us, where we might feel that way, that tension, One possibility is that in our sorrow and in our hurt, we wonder, where is God? Has God acted? And if not, what is God waiting for? In a world, in a city of unrest, uh, devastating violence, in the brokenness of family, or in the disappointment or pain in my life, even as I've prayed to God for help, we may wonder, or you may wonder, Can I join in this call to worship? Or maybe for some of us, in our shame or in our regret, things that we have done or things that we have failed to do, that we feel outside this call today. Is God the one who sees and knows all things, really calling me, really inviting me to worship? Interestingly, as one author writes, our psalm does not offer a defense of God. Neither does our psalm investigate our level of holiness or check our Christian credentials. Rather, our psalm, what it does, it invites all of us to pray. It calls all of us to join in. Our psalm does not argue or explain God's help. It does not exclude or draw lines around who's worthy of receiving help. Rather, it calls us and offers us a testimony a witness to who God is and to what God's help is like. And so therefore, all of us, all of us are called to join a community that in the midst of trouble sings and prays about the presence and the faithfulness of our God, to say our God is on our side. This past summer, my oldest daughter and I had a chance to join a a mission trip working with partners in Haiti. It was a medical mission trip, and so the team brought much, many things, both personal and medical supplies, and we 
checked some 50 large duffel bags, hoping that they'd all make their way to Haiti to be picked up. Along with our personal items and medical supplies, we took some soccer balls as well. I was excited about that to share with the kids there. After we landed in Haiti, we went through customs and we went to find our checked duffel bags and the team started finding the bags and we started gathering them and realized that two of them were missing and both happened to belong to me. <laughs> I was the lucky one. I, started, I was already feeling anxious about traveling. I don't know how you feel about traveling, but to travel to a strange place I hadn't been before, being with my daughter. And I began wondering as my bags were missing what it's going to be like to have the next eight days in Haiti without my things. And inside, I was feeling worry and even beginning to feel these voices or shame inside of me. You're a pastor on a mission trip. Just calm down. Come on. Don't worry. But in that moment of anxiety or worry, a hand was set on my shoulder. And a team member I had met not that much sooner put his hand on my shoulder, not in a dismissive way, but in an encouraging and genuine way. Remember, the Lord has called us. Lord, you have sent us here, and we ask for your help. Now, I I know that losing luggage is not the end of the world, and it's relatively minor compared to many serious struggles in life. And we did eventually find my bags. They had just been placed somewhere else in the airport. But I mention this because in day-to-day moments and in very serious moments of struggle, We, you and me, we all need a word from outside of ourselves. We need a call, a voice that directs us back to God. And these psalms are communal songs to speak to each other, to sing to each other, to encourage each other on the way that we may walk with each other and remember God, especially in times of trouble. It's so important for us to see here that the psalm, it does not answer all our questions It does not answer all our problems. It does not try to marginalize or minimize or control our sorrows. But rather, it seeks to reorient us, to put us in a new direction, setting our feet on a certain path. The Lord is present with his people. You might have noticed that in the scripture, how it moves us in our sorrow. Scripture moves us from the question of why to the question of where will I look for my help? The scripture moves us in our times of sin and shame. It moves us from the question of what is my plan? What are my next steps? To a question of where do I find a new start? Our psalm here, it interrupts us and it calls us people of God. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever your circumstances, let us remember the Lord. So as we hear this call, it's good to acknowledge that possible tension that we feel and how the psalm seeks to be present. It's also good to acknowledge a second thing, that Christians are not the only ones with a liturgy. That Christians, those who follow Christ, we are not the only ones that have a liturgy that seeks to order and shape us. The author, René Girard, in his book, Deceit, Desire, in the Novel, I love that title, Deceit, Desire, in the Novel, writes that we all, all people surrender to someone or to something in our formation of a self, in this fundamental part of being human, of forming who we are, we all, whether religious or not, look to someone or to something to imitate, to model ourselves upon. The 
prophet Isaiah says something similar as he's speaking to God's people about idols, saying that we all worship something and that we become like what we worship. We all must imitate someone or something, and so we might ask who has or who promises what we desire. We can call this surrendering, this looking to someone or to a group to imitate. We can call these moments that affirm or shape us a liturgy, that direct us on a certain path or be a certain way. And I want us to think for a moment about some of the liturgies of this world that call to us. I'm sure we can make a long list of possible things, but I want to mention a few of them briefly, things that call to us and ask us to order ourselves around them. The first one that came to mind is a liturgy of transaction. We are called to be consumers. Do I have enough? Do I have the right things, the right access? Do my children, will they have the right things? In this ordering, this liturgy, life is measured in terms of economic capability. We're measured in our productivity, the transactions we complete, our ability to accumulate things to ourselves. Another liturgy besides the liturgy of transaction could be the liturgy of ease, the liturgy of ease. I recently read an article that was talking about the decline in sales of breakfast cereal. <laughs> that wasn't you know, the main reason I was reading the article, but I came across it. But it says that researchers went looking for answers, and almost 40% of those surveyed said cereal was an inconvenient breakfast choice because they had to clean up after eating it. They had to clean up the bowl and the spoon, I guess. Now, I, I love breakfast cereal. I always have. It's okay if you don't. But I mentioned that article because it, it used it as a, a point of kind of reflection about our human condition and what we could call the liturgy of ease. That in our kind of busy lives and in the promises of technology, that we come to the conclusion, my life should be an unbothered life. My life should be an unbothered life. And in this ordering, people and details of life are measured in terms of how much they cost us. Things in life exist for us and for our ease, leading us to resist or find distasteful things that are costly or messy. We don't want the mess, and things that are messy aren't worth it. Yet I imagine that we know the things worth doing often are messy such as following Christ, learning to love God and love others. These things are hard, and if we enter into them, they will bother our lives. Liturgies of transaction, liturgy of ease, but also liturgies of the world, they can co-opt religious practice, the lens of performance, the lens of competition or people-pleasing, chasing success or avoiding failure. They inform maybe how we think of worship or our religious life. I know the right answers, I am doing the right things, therefore things will go well with me, or maybe even I will look at myself as better than someone else. And what I want us to see by mentioning those few liturgies is that all of them, what they have in common, what they call us, is that they place us and our decisions, our gathering at the center of our lives. They place us at the center of who we are. In the face of these ways, the Christian liturgy offers us something very different. The psalm moves us in a different place, a different shape. It does this by calling us to worship, but it does it also by calling us to give thanks. The second part of the liturgy is 
a call to bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord or praise the Lord. This means thank you. This second liturgical element directs us beyond ourselves and beyond our ability to manage things to, to thank someone beyond us, to thank God. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, then we would have perished. But the Lord has been on our side, therefore we will bless his name. The psalm affirms that giving thanks, giving thanks is fundamental to being human. Well, exploring this giving thanks, exploring God's help, the hazards and difficult conditions of life are pictured through a series of images in our psalm. Maybe you noticed that as we read it together. An animal swallowing its prey, a flood submerging its victims, raging waters sweeping over us, an animal grinding and chewing its prey, a bird entangled in a trap. These images can be gathered into two main thoughts or main ideas. One of the overwhelming waters upon us or a bird being hunted. Think for a moment about these images, the overwhelming waters. They represent chaos. That which is out of your control, out of my control. One minute things are fine. The, the next, everything is a mess. Everything is in danger. And it's possible for us to encounter such experience. Maybe we know or can picture what this image means. Illness suddenly and radically altering our health. A relationship, a marriage, a family suddenly broken by disloyal actions or abandonment. A job that seems so certain and promising, lost. The death of one close to us. Everything is suddenly different. And that which seems so certain in our life is swept away. The other image is the image of a bird being hunted. A powerful animal, sharp teeth pursuing its prey, filling its prey with fear. I don't know how that image strikes you, but maybe we think of a person or a group that has hurt us, that has sought our destruction, that actually finds pleasure in our failures and is glad to gossip or slander about us. They can see a feast in our wounds. I imagine many of us here have experienced loss and difficulty and maybe even experiencing it now. This psalm, the reason these images are here is to invite us to feel and to know our human condition, to understand our need for help, that all of us have or will suffer. All of us have or will face the reality that we cannot make things be the way we long for them to be or plan for them to be. There will be moments for all of us in which we are encountered with our helplessness and our powerlessness before something that is great. Our psalm invites us to feel and to think about our powerlessness and our condition. And these images, though, these images of powerlessness move us in, by evoking the image of the Red Sea. Maybe you know that story, but I'll, I'll say it again, that these images, they evoke Israel at the Red Sea. Remember the people of Israel, they have been enslaved in Egypt. But now liberated by God and God's power, they are set out in freedom. 
But as they go, they are now pursued by an angry, revenge-seeking military power. They face a real and imminent destruction at the hands of Pharaoh at the edge of the Red Sea. They are trapped by the waters of the Red Sea, trapped between the powers of the world and the waters. And Israel knows their powerlessness, and they cry out. It's in this great need that God parts the waters, and not only parts the waters for his people, but uses the sea to destroy the powers of the world, to destroy Pharaoh and his army. You see, God's actions in that moment at the Red Sea formed Israel and formed Israel's identity. Who are you? You are the ones who have passed through the waters. You are the ones who have been released from those who rose up against you, who sought to devour you. And this has happened because God was on your side. In 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul equates Israel passing through the Red Sea with our baptism into Christ, with God helping us in Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were trapped by our self and our brokenness, trapped without hope. But hear the gospel of Christ, but God, because of his great love for you, has made you alive in Christ. That Christ has entered into our death. Think again of the images that he is tasted the waters going over him. He has entered the teeth of our enemies that we may know the resurrection and the power of his spirit. Blessed be the Lord. Did God leave us in our sin and misery? Is our sin the final word? Or is the sin of others that hurts you the final word? Are the circumstances of your life, is your death or the death of those you love, will they be the final word? And I want us to hear this morning that this psalm and the gospel of Christ give a witness, a resounding no. These are not the final word of who you are and your identity. God's action at the Red Sea informed who Israel is, those called and redeemed by God. In the same way, Christ's cross and his resurrection form our identity if we have faith in him. We are those saved by God. Therefore, let us not boast in our power or our plans or our resources, but let us boast in the power of God. Bless his name and give him thanks. This leads us to the third and final liturgical movement of our passage, a confession. Our help is in the name of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. The opening of the psalm tells us that God is on our side, and now we close by confessing our faith, confessing our belief together that our help is in the Lord. As I've reflected on the Psalms of Ascent, as I've been trying to think about these, one of the things that's been interesting to me or been compelling to me is to think that Jesus himself spoke and sung these words as a child going up to Jerusalem with his family for the feast, that he would sing these Psalms as they traveled. And then again, as he's older, with his own disciples going to Jerusalem for the feast, that they would sing and encourage one another with these words. And I imagine it's very likely that he was even singing these words or these psalms days before he was put to death in Jerusalem. And the question looming of around Jesus' day as people came to Jerusalem, as pilgrims made their way to the Passover, the question that was looming, is there anything in the world, any other power in the world besides Rome? Is there any other power besides what I can see? 
I read in the book called The Fall of Rome. It recorded a celebration by a man named Claudius to celebrate Rome's power. Animals from all over the world were imported in by Roman soldiers. There were African lions and leopards, boars and bears from Europe, even an elephant from India, brought on boats or in caravans to Rome. Excuse me. Even in the notes, it said that the Roman soldiers were upset about sharing a boat with an African lion. All of these animals that represented the parts of the world were brought to Rome, and there they were sacrificed in a ceremony to show that Rome had dominion over all places. Rome was the power over all things. And that was the atmosphere which Jesus walked into, the atmosphere of the pilgrims coming to Jerusalem. Is there something more? And in that question, the confession of God's people is, the confession that we're invited to say and believe is my help is in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In the face of my own sin, in the face of the great struggles in our city, in the face of death and sickness and sorrow, I confess that God will accomplish his will. I confess that God, not anything or, nor anyone else will have the final word in my life. I confess that there is nothing in life nor death, nothing visible or invisible that can separate me from the love of God and Christ. And I confess that while the world rejected Christ as a criminal and a fool, God's judgment was different. God raised him to new life and gave him the name above all names and all who trust in him will never be put to shame. We're invited to confess that together. As we think about going on our way and going out back into our lives, to confess that together means that it speaks against the liturgies of the world. In a world that says competition and getting ahead, looking out for yourself is fundamental. We dare to say our lives and set our lives around the call, <clears throat> to set our lives around the call to sacrificially love our neighbors, even our enemies. In a world that calls us to seek an unbothered life, we confess that life is not found in getting our own way, putting ourselves first, but in following our savior to the place of service. And therefore, whenever we pray, whenever we cry out for help and forgiveness, whenever we give of our resources generously, whenever we love our neighbors, we forgive our spouse or our friend, whenever we ask for forgiveness from others, we are participating in a liturgy of confession that there is more than the powers of this world. So let us say together, let us be called together to thank God and to say that our help is in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen.